Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. Groovy podcast. This week, we'll be taking questions from the Antiques Freaks Friends Facebook group. Our first question comes from Leah, who asks us to define vintage versus antique, which I think is very funny because our very first episode is titled Definitions. I think it's not only common, but good and moral to ignore the first episode of a podcast. Yes, I think so as well. I am excited for an (laughs) opportunity to redo this. Although I don't think my answer has changed because as I understand it, vintage is 50 years or more old and antique is a hundred years or more old. That is correct. And it is the best broad entry level definition. Um, Most people you'll talk to kind of have their own spin on it. Like I consider stuff from the 70s and 80s vintage. And I don't think the 80s have hit 50 years ago yet. They're about 40. They're getting there. Yeah, I actually think the 70s are nestled quietly in there. So I mostly mean like 80s and even some early 90s stuff. I would call 80s and early 90s stuff retro, but I recognize in this day and age of search engine optimization, I am the only person sticking to that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, as far as the market's concerned, they are. And like, I'm inclined to just sort of like, okay, well, if this gets it sold, then I agree. (laughs) Some things, you know, coming up into like 70 and 80 years old, a lot of people will just grandfather those into antiques with a sort of, eh, old is old enough. And I agree with that too. I'm pretty loose on it. I think of them more as guidelines than rules. Meanwhile, I'm told in the United Kingdom they don't consider Victorian stuff to be antique. Look at what they're doing over there. You, you're gonna listen to them? Just because they have real castles. I'm so sorry to all of our UK followers. <laughs> Our next question comes from Ken, not me, a different Ken. There are multiple of us. Oh man, they're growing. (laughs) Their numbers, their ranks. What has been the coolest or most unique item you've ever found and bought that really excited you? Well, the thing is I got like a bunch. I'm still to this day really excited about a Victorian copy of a botanical guide to fungus and mycelium that I found. In my experience, like, botanical nature stuff tends to be a lot harder to find because it's a broadly beloved category. You see the prices on those go up really fast. I got this one for $5 at a thrift shop, and I touch it at least once a day very lovingly. I also got, like, a pair of rib spreaders in, like, a general bag of quote-unquote surgical junk. And, like, I find, I don't know if other people's medical collecting experiences are like this, I find that a lot of it's dental. Tons and tons of dental stuff that people pass off as surgical because they don't know. And in one of those, in between all the dental stuff, was a genuine pair of rib spreaders. And that is one of the most grisly and delightful things in my collection to this day. And I still think of it oh so fondly. I do love your rib spreaders. They are a hoot and a half. It's such a cool thing. Amy wants to know, what was your first pet street name and your mother's maiden name? Uh, please don't access my bank account. (laughs) (laughs) Jessica would like to know, what piece have you been looking for or did you look for the longest? Oh god, that's a really good question. Probably a scarificator. Speaking of surgical antiques. Yeah, I will look for one for the rest of my life. Maybe I'll get to a point in my life where the, like, general, like, $400 price tag isn't the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. A scarificator being specifically a tool to make you bleed a lot because doctors used to think that was good for you. So it's just a box full of small knives that you put against your flesh. And then you take the (laughs) box away from your flesh and you have significantly less flesh. And also blood. They're, like, clockwork, like, sprung-wound razor blades that, like, swing freely against the skin. And uh, at the time, the more blades you could pack in there and like the more cross cuts you could make the device make, the more sophisticated it was considered. Like the modern disposable razor. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck it. Five blades. (laughs) 
but to get inside you. Yeah. Instead of on. <laughs> I sort of have an aversion to just buying things outright. It doesn't scratch the same itch for me, like going on eBay and searching French Scarificator. Because it's not practical, it doesn't really do anything for me to get them that way. So my collections I really like to find in the wild, so to speak. Thomas would like to know, is D short for something or is it D? <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming you mean D, the letter D. It's actually D-E-E, uh, like, <laughs> like the name. Um, it's also just short for Dielzebub, which is like my true name, so be careful with that. Brendan would like to know, what are your individual aesthetics, and how does that translate into the antiques in your house? Ken, you got an answer for this? My individual aesthetic is, if you let the ghost of a librarian molder in a French hunting lodge for about 500 years... But that's meaningless because I don't decorate my apartment. My roommate does because he has stronger feelings as to what an interior should look like. So because of that, my apartment is very Swedish modern. <laughs> it's also notably a lot easier to get Swedish modern stuff in and out of a house than, uh, let's say, the oak sideboards that Ken favors. Yeah. <laughs> D, what's your hashtag aesthetic? I saw a Quizilla quiz once called Hello Kitty Mental Illness. <laughs> I think it comes as a surprise to a lot of people who know me that I really like pink and like pastels. We have a word for that. It's pastel goth. Yeah, I'm extremely pastel goth. I like pink and I like retro Halloween. My guilty pleasure is I like stuff people have painted black. My current bed frame is a beautiful hodgepodge of Victorian bed frame pieces that someone painted black. And uh, that was... <laughs> That was the one I told you about. I went to pick it up because it was a Craigslist deal. And the family met me, you know, in a public space parking lot. And when they did the handoff, I couldn't help but notice that they, they had a, a kid who was also dressed as extravagantly goth as I was. <laughs> and, and we had a Spider-Man pointing moment. So, like, I, I do love that. I love when people, like, repurpose otherwise damaged antiques and make them goth on purpose. I love that. And I like to pair that with pink fairy lights. I think people monoculture their aesthetics too much. I think a beautiful pastel goth bedroom has space for, like, dark wood. It also has space for several Hatsune Miku posters. And several Hatsune Miku posters. Hatsune Miku would love a Victoriana aesthetic. Kevin wants to know how to understand Hallmarks or at least a primer. And I have bad news, Kevin. <laughs> Ooh, um... No one understands Hallmarks. If you mean silver Hallmarks... That is an ongoing field of study that is largely considered very mysterious. You could dedicate the rest of your life to learning about and memorizing silver hallmarks and trying to understand them and still only gain a fraction of the knowledge that's out there. At some point, we would like to interview an actual silver expert on hallmarks, just hallmarks and hallmarks alone. And I think we would get a very similar answer, perhaps a somewhat more useful one, but it does boil down to no one knows good luck. Yeah, with hallmarks of all stripes, not even just silver, if you're thinking like porcelain hallmarks or pottery hallmarks, the really best advice you can get is to get to know people. Online forums are like your bestest best friend because a lot of this is like the collected knowledge of a lot of enthusiasts together. And you know, the newer a thing is, the more likely someone has a database of markings. And of course, God knows for silver, that is absolutely the case. There are multiple, but really, really honest to God, your most actionable advice is get to know some people who are knowledgeable in that area. Ask people to ask people. And you might get pointed in directions that will be very helpful because the general idea of Hallmarks is they are, they are, there are so bloody many. Uh, one company could have as many as 50 Hallmarks in the span of their life. 
That being said, if you do know an expert uh, and they do want to talk to us about Hallmarks, please get them in touch with us. I would love to have them on. Email antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. Paris has many questions, and yes, this is Paris of the Terrible Book Club podcast. (laughs) Paris wants to know, the coolest thing you've gotten to do or the coolest person you've gotten to talk to so far because of the podcast? That's a really good question, because I have loved meeting and talking to a lot of people that we've had on. I would say Dr. Anthony Cavo was incredible as a guest, and I would love to have him on again if I can only find a topic worthy of him. Yeah, absolutely loved that that particular interview. It was also a whole lot of fun to talk to Dr. Elizabeth Yuko. Yeah, okay, th- so you got my short list in mind too, because I, I was thinking <laughs> Cavo, Yuko. Cavo of Antiques Trader and Dr. Elizabeth Yuko for our episode on the sanitation craze, where Dee got to hear hear about the penny lick for the first time and i will never stop reminding you because it's always funny yeah because it's the nastiest thing people be like oh history can be ugly if someone says it to me the first thing i think of is the goddamned penny lick now the penny lick for those who haven't listened to our sanitation craze episode is the victorian method of ice cream selling where they'd sell you an ice cream in a glass bowl and you would lick the bowl clean and then hand it back to the person who'd sold it to you so they could put more ice cream in it for someone else to lick without washing the bowl in between fantastic good night <laughs> sleep well as for the coolest thing that i've gotten to do i'm gonna give like a magic school bus answer and just say it has been incredible to learn from so many people who are experts in their field or just interested yeah net rules it rules it makes me feel so much like more well-rounded in terms of like the things i know and the things i get to know and what i get curious about and it's awesome and at the risk of being sappy it's been fun to read the entirety of Carnacki with Chris and Paris of Terrible Book Club. It's been a delight. Um, getting <laughs> getting to cross over with TBC is one of the absolute highlights of doing this podcast with you, Ken. <laughs> it's, it's always a blast. Cooking up some more stuff with them soon. Look forward to that. Paris would also like to know, if you weren't doing this podcast, would you have a different sort of show? I think so, yes. What other podcast would you like to have? I'm curious. <laughs> this is this, okay, this is categorically the worst answer Uh uh-huh probably a book review podcast (laughs) that's not true you could be doing a movie review podcast like i know i know that that's like review casts are like at this stage the lowest there's so many also way to shit on terrible book club no what they do immediately after saying collabing with him is your favorite thing okay but like here's the thing what they do is extremely unique I'm talking about being, like, this isn't a shit on people who do that or enjoy it, because here's the thing, like, I didn't say that because I don't like doing it. I think it's, like, lovely and fun and interesting, and I think TBC, they really shine because they do something really unique and fun with the premise, more so than just, I read this book I was going to read anyway, and here's why I hate the author now, you know? So, like, this isn't a dunk, uh, that was all very tongue-in-cheek, it's just that, like, you know, review, (laughs) it's a thing, it's a thing saying like, I'm going to do a review of every horror novel I read. And part of why I don't do that is because everyone would hate my guts forever, so. I think you would at least stand out from the crowd, much like Terrible Book Club does, in sticking to a specific genre of books to review and reviewing from the perspective of someone who is arguably an expert in that field. That's very kind of you. Um, What kind of podcast would you be running? So the reason we have a podcast is because many people in our personal lives told us we should have a podcast together. And I was like, okay, what's something we could actually talk about forever, the two of us specifically? (laughs) That there isn't already 5,000 other podcasts about. 
And I was like, well, it's literally impossible to guess to shut the fuck up about antiques, no matter where we are or who we're talking to. <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> and also, there aren't very many antiques podcasts out there, and I haven't heard any of them cuss. So what if we became <laughs> the first people to say the fuck word about antiques? I see. I think everyone needs to learn. Ken's dream was, I want to say fuck about antiques. And he made it real. <laughs> I made it happen. Also, apologize to all the reviewers who are unable to listen to our podcast because we say the fuck word about antiques. Yeah, I, it, it's, I'm sorry, you guys, but we have a thing that we like to do. Brattle Books is there for you. Antiques Roadshow is there for you. There are so many other antiques podcasts that don't say the fuck word and they are here for you to meet your needs. We love you and we're glad you know your personal limits. So yeah, my answer to if I weren't doing this podcast, would I have a different sort of show? Five years ago, no, this was really the only podcast I could think of making. Now I would probably just do a quote unquote podcast that's just me reading aloud various works of Victorian literature, fiction and nonfiction alike, with an audience of absolutely no one because I'm the only one who thinks that's fun. <laughs> I mean, you, maybe you could uh, volunteer with LibreVox uh, program. No, because I would have to interject <laughs> is the thing. Oh, I see. You want to talk about it while you read it. Yes, as we do when we do our read-alongs with 19th century books. I would want to Mystery Science Theater 3000 it. I'm not gonna lie. It sucks that we both have, like, other jobs because that does sound like a lot of fun. I'm not gonna lie to you. Unfortunately, no one would listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why we should probably focus on our other jobs. Paris also wants to know our dream guest or topic for the future. No spoilies. Oh, God. I would personally love to talk to anyone directly involved with the set design, prop design, or costuming for Our Flag Means Death or What We Do in the Shadows. I'm going to add Crimson Peak to that, too. Also that, yes. I feel like we're a little spoiled with Crimson Peak because the art book goes really in-depth into the antiques used on the set and how they were adapted for film. Whereas I don't think there's any resource like that for what we do in the shadows yet. I know for a fact there isn't a resource for Our Flag Means Death like that because HBO Now Max would rather die than promote or monetize the show in any way. Oh, I was going to say because you would have swallowed it whole by now, yeah. Also that, yes. <laughs> we may be getting something similar to that for BBC's Ghosts, which also has a lot of beautiful sets and props and costumes but that book won't be coming out until September, question mark. So postponing our ghosts episode until then. By the way, all these are all excellent insights into Ken's aesthetic. Um, <laughs> if you've seen one, all, or any of these, then you kind of know, you kind of know. This ghost was left alone in a hunting lodge for 500 years. You won't believe what happened next. <laughs> I would really like to get someone on to talk about someone who is involved and an expert on black Americana to talk about that area of antiques. It's not something I'm qualified to talk about. No, but it's important and I would love to talk to an expert about it. Yeah, it's extremely important um, and I would really love to learn from someone who has dedicated their time to it. Thank you for providing a more balanced and far less frivolous answer. <laughs> well, it's, it is no, I mean, they're both valid. We're valid. We're valid. <laughs> Paris has one final fourth question. 
possibly our most contentious question of this episode. Oh dear. Your favorite and least favorite episodes and why? Oh lord, um... I hate the first one because it's the first one and you can tell it's the first one and I hate that about it. We're so much better at podcasting now. Yeah. Please, whatever you do, don't listen to a podcast in chronological order. What are you doing? Please stop. I'm actually going to say anything from the first six months of our operation where I focused hyper-specific on a single company, especially any that did clear glass and went on way too long about the history of it because I forgot that 98% of people do not care. That's not true. People love those episodes. Those are all very cringy to look back on. Um, I think I've gotten better at summarizing things, so to speak. My favorite episodes mostly hinge on us being unhinged, because I find that very fun. (laughs) Yeah, same. So I think one of our favorite episodes, and this also ties into my love of just reading Victorian books out loud for my friends, is the decorative electricity with a chapter on fire risks episode. Oh god, yes. Any of those episodes, honestly. She puts an electric cigar lighter in every room, and the reveal of each (laughs) subsequent cigar lighter drives Dee slowly mad. (laughs) Because they're just smoking in every room of the fucking house. Dee goes full king in yellow, absolute looney tunes. No, Because (laughs) this woman will not stop putting electric cigar lighters in her 1890s mansion. I was driven mad. I'm feeling reality starts to wiggle just thinking about how many cigar lighters she suggested. <laughs> it's not hard to light a cigar, I understand. Wasn't one of them in like the shape of a swan too? She had a light bulb set into the mouth of a taxidermied crane. <laughs> hey, check out those episodes if you haven't yet. <laughs> This is tough. I think my favorite episode, the first thing that always comes to mind is the Beanie Babies episode. You did so much good research on that. And what an unhinged history. You say that, but that's only episode eight (laughs) of our entire podcast. So be wary. I would love to revisit it someday because I think it's such an important topic in antiques. To get people to talk about Beanie Babies as toys and not investments anymore. That one's really funny. The art of je- gentleman's dressing, you know, uh, fashion isn't one of the things I've studied. The Gentleman's Art of Dressing with Economy series? Yes. Which, again, is just me reading a Victorian book out loud to my best friend. Yeah. I'm really trying to bring back the Victorian art of reading books aloud to your friends and loved ones as entertainment. I love it. Which was a thing people did before Netflix. Reading was not always a solo, silent project. I think we should do it more often. Bring it back. Everybody, let's bring it back. Okay, third runner-up is also definitely... What was the mystery... The furniture manufacturer who didn't exist because it was his wife? Ah, Heppelwhite. Yes. Antiques cryptid Heppelwhite, yes. Also one of my favorites because... (laughs) I love a quote-unquote unsolved mystery that is so extremely solved if you think about it for more than five consecutive seconds. Like, whoa, we don't know how anyone built the pyramids, except we absolutely have the written records of the human beings that built them, and the math they did to build it, and the mechanics they used to get the stone from place to place, and also what they paid their workers and where their workers lived and what they fed them. We have all of this, but however, there's no possible way that by stacking rocks big at the bottom and making each subsequent layer of rocks smaller and smaller could possibly work. It defies physics, except for the part 
where it directly works with everything we've ever understood about physics for literally 10,000 years. There's another episode uh, idea if we could get an archaeologist to get mad. Hepplewhite is the ancient aliens of antiques. Yeah, what, what really the what was really the shock to me was that I had never heard of this before and it's sort of a <laughs> it's it's a rather a large story to not be concerned about. I'm also extremely biased, but a big fan of our our Flag Means Death episode with Hannah, because one, we got to talk to Hannah, yeah, and two, we got to talk about gay pirates for two hours. <laughs> you don't understand, all right? So, like, the editing process for the podcast usually results in an episode being about half as long as the raw recording, because, you know, I'm cutting out awkward pauses, I'm cutting out my cat screaming, I'm cutting out neighbors running by hogging their horns. And the raw recording with Hannah about our flag means death is over two hours. Yeah, we had ourselves a good job. My computer was so unhappy. (laughs) We had ourselves- (laughs) We tried to record a second episode with Hannah, we heard your calls for a part two. Hannah's computer died. Yeah, it's still in the works, but it's a ways off. We got halfway through episode two, and then Hannah's computer <laughs> said, Fuck you! Shut up about pirates! It was like, I can't stand, I can't sit here for three hours while you guys talk about these pirates anymore. <laughs> Hannah's computer said, Fuck this shit, I'm out. I would say we'll have episode two possibly around the time that season two comes out, but we have no fucking clue when that's gonna happen, so. To not make this a two-hour episode of us just listening episodes of our podcast that we enjoyed. Yeah, you got any other questions? And question from Sarah, which echoes a different question from Brendan. Sarah wants to know, our best hauntings. Oh, our best hauntings. I don't think I'm haunted. You've never been haunted, huh? That's not true. You saw the dog man. I have had deeply disturbing experiences that were later explained by everyday scientific phenomena. But you saw the dog man. I've definitely told this story in the podcast before, but it's been over 250 episodes and I don't remember which one it was anymore. So (laughs) (laughs) once upon a time driving on a woodsy road in Massachusetts with my aunt, something runs into the road. We stop the car and it is what looks like a coyote with like the taxidermy fox face running across the road on its hind legs and turning to look at us halfway through its crossing and then turning back to the other side of the road and going on its way. And I maintain that could probably just be a coyote with fucked up front legs that is adapted to its situation. D says, no way, definitely cryptid. Okay, I'm not saying that it couldn't be that, but I'm saying the likelihood of that is as low as the dog man, so I don't know what to believe. I'm pretty sure it was just a busted coyote. Do you haunted? I think the most haunted thing I experienced was the chair thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your old store was legit haunted. I keep forgetting. I feel like I'm constantly scarring my skeptic reputation, but a lot of it was pretty hard to explain. Especially after, you know, a decade of working in, like, the same environment when weird things happen to it. You kind of know if that's likely or not. And, uh, yeah, the short version of the story is I went to a sub-level of the shop to turn off the lights and clean up, and a chair that had been previously suspended from the ceiling on a hook, don't ask, that's how we handle things in small spaces, was right outside the doorway when I got back up. Upright and nowhere near said hook. Yeah, not on the ceiling, on the floor. There hadn't been a noise other than, like, a scraping sound as if someone was pushing a chair, so not, like, a crashing to the ground. And it was high up enough that it would have been, like, permanently damaged. 
And, you know, I asked my co-workers, one of which was my mother, and I said, haha, very funny, who did that? And they both said, what are you talking about? We were both closing up up here. There hasn't been a chair in this store in 35 years. Ah. Grab our clown statue and get out. Which, and you know, it's an old mill building. I would have heard them walk over, which I didn't hear. And neither of them is particularly given to nonsense in that vein. Uh, Mostly, in fact, they're just irritated because I needed one of them to put the thing back up. (laughs) It's pretty inexplicable. It was really, really hard to come up with an answer for how that would have happened in a non-ghost way, you know? Yeah, I would classify that as 10 out of 10 haunted. And embrace small hauntings. Even if it's just a little thing, like a picture being turned slightly to the left, if you can't think of a good reason for it to have done that, maybe you got yourself a haunt. Buy dolls on eBay. I don't know. You can get a ghost in there. Or maybe it's just a coyote and animals adapt to adverse circumstances. I think whatever the answer to that is, that's the scariest thing I've ever imagined. It's really not. It's just a dog. No, I- no, it's- (laughs) It's just a dog that got outside too much. Wow. Everyone, write in and tell Ken that that's really freaky. (laughs) And that wraps up our question and answer. That was really fun. People ask more questions like that. If you would like to ask us a question, suggest an episode topic, or just say hello, you can email us directly, antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, antiquesfreaksfriends. You can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com. Or you can check out our Instagram at instagram.com slash antiquesfreaks. If you enjoyed us talking about our favorite things and our favorite ghosts and our favorite books, feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review. And if you would like to pick up some guaranteed not haunted vintage and antique books of your own, you can check out our Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash antiquesfreaks. You people are buying me out of clown and home. And if you need more antiquesfreaks in your week and you heard me talk about reading Victorian books out loud to my friends and thought, wait, I'm the one person who would actually listen to that. You should check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we are reading and reviewing a chapter of the Victorian penny dreadful Varney the Vampire, the Feast of Blood. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.